Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the World's Greatest Podcast. It is, of course, that's the way the cookie crumbles and I am here with a very special guest. You probably guessed from a distinct lack of mouth breathing, Stan and Jim are not here this week and we've got a very special guest, host and creator of the Friday Night Counter-Attack, Hamza. Welcome to the pod for your debut. Thank you very much. So what an int- what an amazing introduction and the lack of, of heavy breathing. I'm going to support that as well. We're going to make sure it's a low breath um, podcast is exactly. We're not going to allow any heavy breathing at all. There's no heavy breathing, Jim. I'm shouting out, Jim. That's all I'm going to say. But Nurse, um, thanks very much for having me, Lewis. It's great to have you on after being on um, Friday Night Counterattack for a good number of um, appearances now, which is great to have you on as always. Great to have your input, which is quite nice to see. And I'm really excited for this one. I'm really excited for my debut. And I'm really excited to hear more about your time in the Netherlands, which we'll get to later on in the podcast. I would hope so, which would be great. Definitely. And on the subject of heavy breathing, one set of fans let out probably a big sigh at the weekend. It was the Sheffield United fans. Hams, they lost nil eight at home to Newcastle. And somehow their manager, Paul Heckenbottom, still has a job. What do you think about these? And are they definitely going down? Uh, it's probably one of those seasons where a lot of people fit that narrative of all the new promote, newly promoted teams will go down straight away. Luton aren't looking anywhere great in terms of they're not really showing up, um, so far this season, having that draw against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Sheffield United, well, with Sheffield United, you never know because when they were here under Chris Wilder, they had that distinct style of play, that 3-5-2, which made them difficult to play against. But with this new Sheffield United side, I'm looking at them and I'm just thinking, they're at the bottom of the division. They're minus 12 on goal difference. Eight of them, obviously, clearly against Newcastle. Where where are you finding hope in this Sheffield United side? I can't see it in Cameron Archer. I know he's had a really good start um, to his career so far, but he's not going to be the one to rely upon. I'm looking at Oliver Norwood, one of the more experienced players, but he can't do it all. Ahmed Ozovic as well is a, is a new centre-back that we've seen quite well in the Championship, but hasn't really done quite well in the Premier League and I, that was quite evident on Sunday evening against Newcastle United so I'm I'm not holding out hope for Sheffield United personally how about you Liz? To be honest with you mate I, I think that we did it on our predictions podcast at the start I said that Luton were the worst team in the league and co-host Jim said he believes it's Sheffield United and I, I think he, he might be right genuinely and Luton I know they've had a few penalties and obviously that's fortuitous if they didn't get and they probably didn't score but mm. at the same time, they, they are scoring. And I just think that I've probably changed my mind now to Chef probably are the worst team in the league. And I, I don't think anyone coming in can keep them up. I think they, they lost a striker. I believe his name was Indai. He, he's gone to Marseille uh, last year. Yeah, he was one of their big signings in the championship that made them so popular. And I spoke about him earlier this season. I spoke about him on um, Sony that sports guy. Um, if anyone follows Sony that sports guy, follow him. He's a great content creator. Definitely. I was talking about he came from Boreham Wood. Um, to the championships, so literally non-league football to the championship to league of football with Marseille. So he went to Marseille and that's the, that's where they got their money to really spend in attacking places, but haven't really replaced them because when you have a solidified striker like Day who was so good for them last season, they're not going to replace someone like that straight away, Sheffield United. If you're someone like an Everton and you've got Beto coming in, uh, he's been a pretty good signing so far. If you've got someone like, um, with, for example, Aston Villa getting Musa Diaby, that was a really good signing. But Sheffield United have not been great in recruitment this summer. And that's down to the manager, that's down to the board. And unfortunately, as well, it's down to the players not really being up to it. 
Yeah, it's just very uninspiring as a as a Sheffield fan. We'll we'll move on to Newcastle in a, in a second because they were excellent in this game, and I believe it was the first time that teams won eight nil with eight different goal scorers. I think they've won by a bigger goal. I think United have won nine nil and had eight different goal scorers. I believe, but yeah, it's nine the first, one. I think it might yeah nine ones. Well. Yeah, uh, but I believe that's the first time. And yeah, it's just I just think it's uninspiring for the fans. No, 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 it was it was nine 0 Sorry, nine 0 against Southampton. I forgot about that one as well. That was the Ralph Hasenhutl one where he stayed in the job. Somehow, I don't get it because he, he lost nine 0 twice. Yeah, against Leicester and against Man United, which is crazy. Ralph Hasenhutl, but yeah, yeah nine for Man United. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure he was interviewed for the Germany job recently as well, which is ever so worrying for them. But but yeah, Hams, I just want to get your opinion on Newcastle. Really, like you said, we spoke about chef signings being uninspiring and the players they've let go just being a bit unambitious. But Newcastle have signed some really good players in this window. They've done well with the balance of playing midweek and at the weekend so far. But do you think that that's sustainable with that squad going forward? And do you think they'll potentially get in the top four? Can I talk to you about their first signing under the new Saudi ownership? Of course. Here in Trippier. I need to ask you, and I'm going to ask you directly, is Kieran Trippier in the top three right backs in world football right now with the way that he's playing? Top three. You've got Walker, you've got Hakimi, you've got quite a few different players. You've got Jao Cancel as well. But with Kieran Trippier doing it year in, year out for different clubs, for Atletico Madrid, for Spurs, and now for Newcastle consistently, is he one of the best right backs in the world right now, Kieran Trippier? I mean, it's hard to say because he's, he, I'll give you, I'll give you something. He's the most consistent. I'd mm. say it's the most consistent. I don't know about the best because obviously preference. I I want a lot more from my fullback in in the modern day fullback. I want them basically playing as a wing back but still able to defend. I want them to have different qualities. Don't get me wrong. He's he odds. Uh, sorry, <clears throat> he offers so much from dead balls, set pieces, and he's incredible. Uh, however, I I do believe if he didn't have those attributes, I feel like he would be further down the pecking order. But credit where credit's due. Diego Simeone does not sign bums to play for Atletico Madrid who can't defend. He he just doesn't. And he's made him such an improved defender from his time at Burnley and then at Spurs and now he's at Newcastle. He's got that leadership role. And yeah, I just think it's a perfect fit, perfect club for him at this point in time. I think it's no coincidence that they signed Tino Livermento hands to potentially move him on in the next couple of seasons. But yeah, I, I think Trippi is on form at the minute. Newcastle, very much in the honeymoon period in Europe. But yeah, let's see if they can sustain it with uh, big games coming up. They had a big Champions League run at the minute. They won 8-0 in this game. And I just think that, I don't know what's going to go wrong for them at the minute. It looks like everything's going well for Newcastle right now. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of Alexander Izak. I forgot to watch him when I went to Sweden recently, which was great fun. But he wasn't great fun. He missed, missed quite a few chances. And that's where Alexander Izak's game is going to improve over the next couple of years when Callum Wilson's going to be phased out as that secondary striker and Eddie Howe will replace him with Alexander Izak. And Alexander Izak will have a lot more ownership on himself to take chances, be a lot more, um, a lot more clinical in front of goal as well. I mean, he was clinical against Sheffield United, but it looks like seven other players were clinical. Um, including Ben Botman and Sean Longstaff as well were quite clinical um, against Sheffield United. But that's one of the signings I'm looking forward to seeing more from um, as well. You mentioned Liveramento. With Liveramento, he can play both sides of fullback as well, which would be great to see. Before we move on to the next game, I wanted to kind of ask you about Lewis Hall. Like Lewis Hall was a former Chelsea player. What's your thoughts on him moving to uh, Newcastle and that loan to buy move as well? Are you expecting him to like take the world alight? Are you expecting him to come back into... Um, not come back into anything, but really shine at this Newcastle United side under Eddie Howe. What's your thoughts, Lewis? I, th- I think Newcastle 
have got a hard on for our academy players. I think that for for one, especially fullbacks. But I mm. think Lewis, Lewis Hall is oh, it's a big statement. This, but I, I, I genuinely believe he's going to be one of the best left backs that England will have. I would say in, in the next probably the next Euro is not the one coming up. Then one after that, he's eighteen. He's, he's been incredible so far. We we lack a lot of depth in that position. I think I think on the national stage, it's only uh, I believe Mitchell and Chilwell with Luke Shaw, really the ones that stand out for me. Rico Henry before he did his ACL, sorry, as well. But yeah, Lewis Hall, the sky's the limit for this kid. He's incredible. He, he, he's been trusted in some massive games. I've, I've seen him play live a few times as well. His confidence is incredible. He can play centre mid, he can play left back, he can play left wing back. I'm gutted we've let him go. But at the same time, it's this is like the Cucurella domino effect for Chelsea because we had Chilwell, we got Cucurella, we had we have Ian Matson who was incredible last year for Burnley in the Championship and won the league with them. Company tried to buy him on deadline day and we accepted it, but he turned it down because he wanted to fight for his place. Fair enough. And then we had Lewis Hall as well, who in essence we had four left backs all that can start at Premier League clubs because Chelsea wanted to loan him to Crystal Palace, get him back next year, hopefully move Cucurella on, hopefully move Matson on, and then he can be deputy to Chilwell but yeah how do you turn down Newcastle saying yeah we're going to play in the Champions League you are going to play because our options are Dan Byrne who's a centre-back or Matt Target who's just not good enough at left-back but yeah long story short I know I've rambled a bit there but I'm gutted that Chelsea have lost him because I genuinely believe this kid is going to go so far but Hams I don't know if you knew this him and his whole family are Newcastle fans so I can't be too know that, no. yeah I can't be too angry at him Nah, that's got to be good as well, going back to like a boyhood club as well, making your family proud. So nicely done there for Lewis Hall as well, which is great to see. And nicely done from Newcastle, getting back up into the table as well. They had a shaky start. Um, I think they're looking around mid-table now, eighth, ninth or so. Same same points as Man United, actually. So three wins, three draw, um, three wins and three losses uh, for both Man United and Newcastle, respectively. Yeah, Newcastle at the minute, they're, they're balancing that European football with the league and League Cup at the minute, but... I think the time that we can judge Newcastle properly is probably around Christmas when the Champions League group stage is over. Have they progressed? Have they finished third and maybe dropped into the Europa League, which will then make them play Thursday, Sunday hands. Me and you both know from our teams being in the Europa League in recent memory, unfortunately, that it is easier said than done. It's painful. It's so painful, the Thursday, Sunday. It's like, I think this week, Man United, me being a Man United fan, for the listeners who don't know, I'm a Man United fan, and it's one of the few times in the season where Man United have got a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. And that very rarely happens due to um, timings, due to scheduling on TV as well. So these little things really do make a difference as well. And just like with Chelsea as well, not in European football, it'll make a big difference when you've got that one game a week going forward. I know we're in the League Cup as well, but uh, one game a week normally is quite useful for players to rest, recover, get back into full fitness with a big season ahead of them. Uh, 100% agree with that one. And I just think that it's experience at this point would get you so far in obviously Europe and stuff like that but I think the main thing to say credit to Newcastle so far credit to Eddie Howe so far and off the top of my head Hams they've got some decent fixtures coming up after this next one so they they miss they've got Manchester City obviously at home in the league cup tonight which is a little bit different but they've got Burnley at home in the league then they've got PSG at home in the Champions League West Ham away and then Palace at home followed by Dortmund at home. So, obviously, there, there's a, a few nice league games in there mixed with some very difficult Champions League games in there. But last question before we move on from Newcastle Hams. In this group stage, they've already picked up one point at the San Siro and were heavily criticised for it, for picking up a big point, I thought. So, 
But how many points do you reckon they finish with in this group stage, in that group? And do they get through? Do they finish in the Europa? Do they finish rock bottom? What are you saying? I'm going to go out on the limb. I think they're going to finish rock bottom with this one as well. I think Dortmund will finish third. I think PSG and I think AC Milan will battle it out for the top two as well. I'm I'm likely to be wrong because St. James's Park will be a fortress. It will be the biggest fortress out of the four games, no, the five games that they've got left as well. So three of them back home as well, which would be great to see. But I'm really looking forward to seeing how Newcastle do at home against these big teams, against the PSGs, against Dortmunds and against AC Milan when they come back as well. And they shouldn't have been criticised at all because AC Milan dominated Newcastle at the San Siro. It was a big burst um, into the Champions League by Eddie Howe. I didn't like how Eddie Howe was like, oh yeah, I didn't get the players to train on the pitch because it's just grass, it's just the same as everywhere. It's like, no, no, no. You want them to experience it properly, you want them to have that feeling of being a kid again, going to these iconic stadiums as a player, not as a fan, or just watching it on TV. That was bad leadership, in my opinion, from Eddie Howe. But realistically speaking, I think, personally, I think that the lack of European experience will come to fruition, really, around November, December time. And I think Dortmund will go for Europa League. PSG and AC Milan should have the firepower to... Um, take it further you know what I really like that point you made then about the the, the San Siro pitch and obviously it's it's been known for for teams literally every stadium you go you walk the grass you train on the pitch the day before you almost look at the stadium take it all in and get the nerves out really but I think I think that might have actually played into Milan's hands really because the first time that these guys are going to be on the pitch and looking out from pitch level is when it's full of uh, Milan uh, sorry Milan fans and yeah, I just I don't think that was the wisest thing. I think he tried to do like a, a a Mourinho move, really. You know, like something Mourinho would probably do, like oh, it's just a pitch or whatever. But at the end of the day, like you, if you're gonna say that, you've got to win. And and I think that 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 was a mistake going forward. And I think I that, think it was I think it was one of Jason Tindall's ideas. Personally, I think Jason Tindall basically had it in him. Was like, nah, let's let's let them go on when they're warming up on on match day. Jason yeah. Tindall. It's yeah. very, it was very uncharacteristic for Eddie Howard. I definitely thought so. It was. No. It was because he's all about like tradition, loyalty, very respectful of the opposition. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I thought that was a bit of a, a left field decision for him. And Hams, just as we're moving on, a bit of a left field result. Brentford won. Everton three. Everton winning away at Brentford, who were flying without Ivan Tony. First win in the season for the Toffees, Hams. Did they kick on from here or is this just a little anomaly for Everton? I think it's an anomaly for Everton right now. I mean, you're looking at some of their players that they've got going on. You're looking at their benches, you've got someone called Mackenzie James Hunt, you've got Lewis Dobbin, you've got um, Chermity. So you've got young players on there that Sean Dyche, as you know, historically, doesn't trust young players very often as well. Nathan Patterson not in a team anymore. It started with Ashley Young at right back, man. I mean, you're looking at it. Um, Jared Brathway is a really good centre-back. I really like him. I think he could do a job at the top six if he was to be a squad player, respectively. Um, especially for the next season when the Champions League changes its format as well. But I was really impressed with Beto. Beto in the League Cup as well. I think he was against Doncaster Rovers. I was really impressed with him. And for him and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, that's a nice, healthy competition um, in this side as well. I just don't get how they signed Arnott Daljuma and he's going on the bench. I know they won the game 3-1, fair enough, but they have to have these Sean Dyke mechanisms in their team to actually survive, let alone play in the game as well. Um, James Garner, Onana... Idrissa Gay and Decore all in midfield and you're looking at them thinking that's like a good four holding midfielders not even just like centre midfielders they can all play the holding midfielder Decore playing as a cam because he was pressing from the front um, and then Dwight McNeil just whips the ball in as well and it's boring boring Everton at the moment but the fact that they got a win against um, Brentford this season who have had a decent start Brandon Burma I've been talking about a lot on my podcast as well the fact that 
he might be one of the best attacking players outside the top six as well. Um, obviously, Rico Henry was ACL is out as well. And it's good to see um, Lewis Potter get a few starts under Thomas Frank as well. But those are my initial thoughts on Everton versus Brentford. How do you think Everton can actually progress with their short and they've got a really small squad this season, don't they, Lewis? Do you think they can actually survive relegation or is this a season where, you know, when a, play, a team just lingers at relegation year in, year out? We've seen it with Burnley, we've seen it with Southampton. Is it Everton's time now to be stop flirting with relegation and just go down into the championship? To be honest with you, I was thinking about this the other day and we was discussing it with someone else, basically saying, is this the year that Everton go down? And I, and I think no, purely because I think there's just three worse teams than in Luton, Burnley and Sheffield United. I think that mm. Everton, no, put it this way, no one's too good to go down. Just look at Leicester and just look at that whole situation. They, they won the league like nearly 10 years ago and now they're in the championship. It's mad. But no, Everton, I think... That, the way they'll pick up points is getting back to basics and Dice is really stripped it back. Like I said, players he trusts and players that have been there, done that. Ashley Young, he actually played with Dice at Watford, which is a bit of a mad start um, when he got his debut. But yeah, they won 3-1 on the road at Brentford, who, again, we mentioned it right at the start, without Ivan Tony, have still just been trotting along very nicely. Everyone have thought they'd free fall and they've not. They've done really well. And I think that Dyche has addressed the issue, Hams, that has been plaguing Everton for maybe, I'd probably say the next, since Ancelotti maybe left, really, because he got the best out of Calvert-Lewin. But they can't trust Calvert-Lewin because he can't trust his own body. And it's a shame because I really like him as a player. I really like the lad. But Beto is what they need at this minute. He's consistent. He's strong. He links to play. Not that Calvert-Lewin doesn't do that, but Beto is a great guy. If he gets injured, Calvert-Lewin comes on. Some days Calvert-Lewin is going to start. It's that simple, but... I'd like to see him together, you know. I'd lo- love Dice to, to really peel it back and do a, an old-school Burnley 4-4-2 with a better one, Calvert-Lewin. That would be very nice. It's quite crazy with Beto as well. He was really good last season in Serie A. And the fact that, that you've now got someone who was at Udinese now playing at Everton. And we've seen Everton waste so much money on strikers over the years. We've seen them have amazing strikers. One, particularly Romelu Lukaku, was fantastic. Richarlison was pretty good with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And that's what we saw... The best of them both, really, when they were playing together up top, you had Richarlison and you had um, Calvert-Lewin playing up top. And that's when James Rodriguez was out of the side because it's over accommodating James Rodriguez. They accommodated Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And I think if you want the best out of your team for Everton, annoyingly, this happens quite a lot with Everton. They'll, they'll pick up some form around November, December time once they finally found their, their true formation, really. And I think with 4-4-2, I know you want to get Decore and you want to get Idrissa Garnagay, but Sean Dyke is more about not losing games than winning games. So we're going to have to wait and see how he does with um, a crocketed Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who was, remember, only a couple of seasons ago, went to the Euros with England as that backup striker and now is nowhere near the squad. And it goes to show that anything can happen with a couple of injuries and your form just dips completely. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more from Everton this season under Sean Dyke. Yeah, like I said, I, th- I think they- they'll stay up purely because there's three worse teams than them. I think that they were they were unlucky to not sign Tammy Abraham. He did his ACL not long before mm. he was going to sign for Everton, which, again, I think he would have got goals for them. I think the f- the first two years he was in the Premier League with Chelsea, he got 15-plus goals in both. And I think he really would have helped them. But, yeah, Dyche is the right man for Everton, in my opinion. I think if they were to sack him for whatever reason. Last thing on Everton, Hams, who who do you even get? Who can you get? Exactly. Anthony Marshall. Uh, Anthony Marshall is always available. They can. All, I, I love saying this on Friday. Like that. You can always go for Anthony Marshall if you want. Get him for 15, 20 million. We can get a new striker in as well. Just get someone like Anthony Marshall. 
The, the ideal player for Everton to get, in my personal opinion, if they were to go for someone that they want to trust, it wouldn't be a striker. It would be another centre-back. You'd have to go for someone who's quality at centre-back, who wants to lead this team because Michael Keane's passed it and we've seen him pass it for ages. Brathwaite needs someone to develop with as well because Brathwaite could be just as big as John Stones, in my opinion. Tarkovsky's kind of passed it as well. So if they were to go for a centre-back, if they were to go for someone, even like Tre- uh, Trevor Chalabert would be pretty good. If they went for someone like Rob Holden, but he went to Crystal Palace, that would have been a good addition as well. But just wasn't the case, unfortunately, with how they were spending. But it, they needed another, another centre-back to work for them. Connor Cody went to Leicester, obviously, but they need a proper centre-back, in my opinion, to work with Jared Brathwaite if he's going to develop at Everton. Yeah, definitely. I remember uh, that Brathwaite being on loan at PSV Eindhoven. I think it was either last year or the year before. And I remember he got mm. a decent amount of games there. So he's he's played at a decent level. I know it's only the Eredivisie, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But I, I completely agree there. They need an experienced centre-back to almost hold the hand and get experience with them as they go. Because Cody was a bit of a specialist centre-back. He could only play as a sweeper in a back three, really. He always looked exposed in a back four. But I think he was there for more, more in the changing room, really, than actually his ability on the field. But Hams, good vibes in this changing room as we're moving on. Liverpool... They won 3-1 against West Ham United. Michael Antonio actually made a bet with Callum Wilson that West Ham would finish above Liverpool this year. And do you think he'll be losing that bet or winning it? Um, with with Michael Antonio, I think he's more worried about being more of a internet superstar now on BBC's podcast as well, as opposed to a West Ham striker. You're looking at him and he's chatting about things he shouldn't be chatting about in public and he still does it because he thinks it's funny and he thinks he's getting airtime. For the sake of it, there will be a time where Danny Ings or Mohamed Kudus will take his spot as the number nine striker. Though I know Kudus can play across the front three and as an attacking midfielder, Danny Ings may look past it, but he can still look to get rid of Mikel Antonio from his team because, realistically speaking, Mikel Antonio is going to lose that bet. He's not finishing above Liverpool. Liverpool are unbeaten this season. Everyone just sleeps on Mohamed Salah as well. We've said it before, time and time and time again. Whenever Liverpool are doing well, Salah's doing great. Whenever Liverpool are doing bad, everyone forgets about how good Mohamed Salah is doing because Mohamed Salah is always scoring goals and assisting. Even if they're losing or drawing, not doing well in Europe, they're in the Europa League this season. But remember, they're unbeaten. They're second in the league right now, Lewis. And with Liverpool Football Club, it looks like... I'm not going to say it's going to be the whole Manchester City-Liverpool um, rivalry, friendship rivalry, what you like to call it as well, because Liverpool always lose at that. They tend to always lose at it at all. But... Liverpool are definitely the team to watch this season in the Premier League. They are looking with exciting football. Exciting football. With They got rid of the old midfielders. They got the new midfielders in. They're looking refreshing. Dominic's obviously someone I've loved watching for a good number of years now as well. And for him to be a left winger in the Bundesliga for RB Leipzig, he's now playing as an attacking midfielder for Liverpool. That's good analysis there by Jurgen Klopp and his staff as well because... It reminds me a bit of Jadon Sancho. So Jadon Sancho was a fantastic winger for Dortmund in the Bundesliga, but he couldn't cut it as a winger. And because we tried him everywhere, we could have tried him as an attacking midfielder, but um, we didn't because he decided to just play PlayStation until stupid clock in the morning and um, not apologising to the manager. That's another story completely, but very impressed with Dominic's was like, and I'm very, very happy um, personally that Darwin Nunes is getting the credit he deserves because last season he just got annoyingly bullied on in, on the internet for no reason just because he was another new striker in the Premier League alongside Erling Haaland but yeah good shout from Liverpool as well I think they're going to be challenging a lot of people this season and definitely the team to watch so far what's your thoughts on it? To be honest with me it's hard to disagree with you I think Liverpool they, they almost look like Liverpool of old you know with the rock and roll football as Klopp used to say heavy metal football was it and I think that 
it's almost like, and I hate to say this because I absolutely despise Liverpool, but credit where credit's due. And and I hope you can all respect how professional we are when we say this, but they they looked like in the summer that they were going to have a stinker of a season with the Europa League, missing out on Caicedo, missing out on Lavia, missing out on top targets. But they've just carried on. They've just cracked on. They've just kept going. And I think, Hams, it's maybe a similar situation to Newcastle where they have signed well in Graven Birch, in Soberslai, in, in these positions that they've really needed to sort out. However, I think once they're playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, they get a few injuries, it, it could unravel very quickly. And I just think that Liverpool now need to pick up points when they can. And now, as they're doing, they're absolutely dominating games because next year, it's most likely they're not going to have Mohamed Salah. He'd love to finish by giving them Champions League football However, I think a couple of injuries could definitely derail that. We saw it when Van Dijk got injured by Pickford a few years ago. I said it on the, the pod when it happened. I think if Salah got that injury and not Van Dijk, then Liverpool definitely don't finish in the top four because he's so much more vital to that team than Virgil van Dijk is. And I, I believe that now Van Dijk is nowhere near the level that he was. And I just think that Liverpool right now, they're playing so well. Klopp squeezing every last bit he can out of them. But I just don't know how sustainable it is. I really don't. It's almost the last chance for Liverpool in a way. You've got players like Salah on his way out, Van Dijk on his way out, Matip on his way out, Robertson on his way out as well. In terms of age, they're in the twilights of their career. So it's just about how much more they can actually get get out from Jurgen Klopp. And Jurgen Klopp is the main reason Liverpool are so successful. Um, I'm not going to say so successful, but successful in their own right over the last couple of years as well. The fact that they won the Premier League for the first time ever, the fact that they won the Champions League um, against Tottenham Hotspur in 2019 as well. The fact that they um, are looking like favourites for the Europa League so far as well. Jurgen Klopp is the main reason why Liverpool have been taking the look. Jurgen Klopp is someone who can develop players to become world beaters and we've seen that at Dortmund, we've seen that at Liverpool. It's just about if these new players can become world beaters when the old guard are kind of going. Who's going to be the main centre-back when uh, Van Dijk ends up retiring or moving on? Who's going to be the main... Uh, goal scoring threat when Mohamed Salah eventually potentially moves on as well. There's no more Firmino as well. So it's got, to, you've got to see where the goals will be coming elsewhere from, just not just from Mohamed Salah, but potentially Darwin Nunes, Cody Gapko still hasn't settled in properly as well. So they're going to go for Darwin Nunes and Luis Diaz up front, which would be a really good sign to see for Liverpool Football Club and for their fans as well. Definitely, mate. And it's almost like a new era of, of Liverpool, this really. Like you said, the old guard's gone. Fabinho, Henderson, Firmino, Mane, Salah next year, most likely. Yeah, James it, Milner. Yeah, oh yeah, Jimmy Milner. How could I forget? One of the goats. But yeah, it's, it just feels like a bit of an uh, end of a, an era at Liverpool. And I think that this squad that they've got at the moment, Hams, I don't know if you agree with me, is definitely good enough to win this Europa League and definitely good enough to, to finish in the top four alongside it. I mean, unless you've got like a third place team coming in like PSG or something like that, that will come in and challenge Liverpool. That's Or a Sevilla. If Sevilla finished further in their group in the Champions League as well, it could happen all over again. And you're just like, OK, Sevilla's tournament wouldn't want to bet against them as well. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what Liverpool can do. And I think that Thursday, Sunday um, routine for them will detriment them over the season. But it's just still early days for Jurgen Klopp and his new players, in my opinion. 100% would agree with that. And they, they play Leicester tonight in the AFL Cup. Then, Hams, it doesn't get any easier. They go away to Tottenham in the half-five on Saturday, followed by Brighton away, the Merseyside derby against Everton at home, followed by Forest at home and Luton away. So prior to that Forest and Luton game, they've got the Merseyside derby, Brighton away and Spurs away. So it's, it's a hard run of games. Hard three fixtures. Yeah. You've got... They're quite... 
Odd as well because they've got two home Europa League games as well in that time. So they're playing Union St. Gilles as well and they've got Toulouse um, as well before or just after the Merseyside Derby they've got the third match week of the Europa League. So um, these are games that you expect Liverpool to win. I expect them to end and Postacoglu's system really um, that's going really well at, at Tottenham so I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got left. Um, Klopp versus Ange Postacoglu is one of our weekend games to watch and um, I definitely think it could be a time where Liverpool will run right over Tottenham Hotspur. But what do you think about that as well? Do you think Liverpool can actually run right against some of these teams that they've got coming up, Lewis? I think Liverpool on the day can destroy anyone and tear them to shreds. I believe the the front three of yesteryear was that good. However, I think them as an institution have just got that side down to a tee. I think Liverpool on the day can be anybody in the world. And I think these cup competitions are perfect for that side at the minute. And I, I genuinely think they'll win the Europa League. I, I've said it at the start. I've actually put money on it. Um, oh, my days. That they'll win the Europa League. Uh, I just think they're clearly the best team in it at the minute. And like you said, that is at the minute until someone drops down potentially from the Champions League, maybe a, a big one. But yeah, credit to Clark, credit to Liverpool. And they're absolutely smashing it at the minute. The strength and depth is showing. And you've got players that would start in a lot of other teams. Players like Jota. Obviously, he's had his injury worries hands, but... Jota's a player, bit bit of a player that's gone under the radar, really, that everyone would love to have in the team. Not a fan of Jota, personally. It's just the fact that he works really well in the system. And when we saw him leave Wolverhampton Wanderers, they just replaced him with Pedro Neto and he stepped up. And you saw Adama Traore kind of get knocked out of the team and Jota was there. But with players they can replace like Jota, it's perfectly fine. But ideally speaking, you want to see more from Jota after, what, three, four years now at Liverpool Football Club. So you want to see him improve. You wanted to see him solidify that first team position now that Firmino's gone now that Mane's gone especially and it hasn't really happened for him in that Champions League run towards the final he was very good but he's not the one that you're going to hang your hat on in terms of scoring goals and scoring assists getting assists sorry for Liverpool Football Club but I think there's more talent there I think there's more work that Jota can be doing to become a 20-30 goal a season man he definitely has that in him but that's just my opinion personally in terms of how Jota can improve and actually step up the mark for what he's been doing now at Liverpool Football Club for a good number of years now So just to finalise the podcast as well, I mean, Lewis, you went all the way to Netherlands to watch Ajax versus Final. Your second home basically is the Netherlands. You've gone to watch Ajax previously. I'm pretty sure you're going to get a Dutch passport anytime soon with the amount of times you're going to the Netherlands as well. Um, first of all, why did you get the game postponed against uh, from Ajax versus Final? What were you doing on the pitch that made the game um, stop? Because I've never seen Ajax have a postponed game. So the fact that you were there, it's a common denominator, man. What happened? You know what, bro? It was, a, it was a weird one. I said it in the uh, in the in the group chat. I was like, I've never been a, a game with with that mad of an environment and that mad of an atmosphere because I don't know if anyone knows this. There was no Feyenoord fans there. Like there was not one Feyenoord fan allowed there. Bit of a history lesson. Forty years ago, um, two ultras had a fight. Somebody ended up losing the life. The Dutch government stepped in and said, listen, th- enough is enough. No one will attend the away fixture for Ajax versus Feyenoord or Feyenoord versus Ajax. It'll be home sport only, um, which was mad because as soon as I got to... How game, did you get in then? Mutual <sighs> support? I, I don't know. I just, did you have to have a fake tattoo of Ajax? Because I literally said to you the other day as well, I said, Hams, my team from Holland is Feyenoord. Mm. I literally said that to you. You were the away fan. You were the away I fan. I was. I was behind enemy lines. I genuinely mm. was. 
Uh, and yeah, like honestly, mate, what a hostile atmosphere considering it's just home fans in there. And as I got to the game, there was a massive banner over these gates and it said, while Amsterdam dreams, Rotterdam works. And that got everybody so like fuming and pissed off because the, the fine old ultras had come and put that big banner over the gate before you could get in. And obviously they're not even allowed to be there. Yeah, they were getting battered. They were 3-0 down, 40 minutes on the clock. A load of flares come on the pitch. They take the players off for 15 minutes. Repeat, we get to half time. Happens again in the second half. Announcement goes out saying basically if it happens again, we're going to abandon the game. The other team did not like that. The other team being the Ultras because it felt like Ajax fans versus Ajax Ultras because the fans were basically pleading with the Ultras, please stop because we'd like to see 90 minutes of our team and they just weren't bothered. They wanted to stop the rot because it could have been five or six and they got it abandoned. It was replayed today. They ended up winning 4-0 at the final score. And yeah, it was just a crazy game. Absolutely crazy game. One, I've never been in a stadium where it's just home support. And two, I've never been in a stadium where it's been that hostile. Again, with no one even in there. Crazy. I mean, with the boy Santiago Jimenez, as a player I've spoken about a few times over the summer, as a potential replacement for anti Martial or replacement for Ronaldo at Manchester United over the last couple of seasons, he did really well um, for final the last season. But the fact he scored a hat-trick away from home at Ajax goes to show he's a player that should be on everyone's radar going forward. He's someone that you're going to be seeing in European football. Arsenal could even go for someone like him as well. I mean, he's someone that they're looking, again, a new type of striker for Jesus and Gabriel and Nketiah to work with. Why not go for someone like Santiago Jimenez? Chelsea could even go for someone like Santiago Jimenez. But it goes to show that he's already scored nine goals in six games so far this season, two assists um, in the era Divisi as well. That's why final were champions last season, having a focal point like Santiago Jimenez as well. Um, I just need to hear your thoughts on Ajax this season because they're just not looking great right now. And it must have been quite fun to go and to see their fans, see their team, see the ultras as well. But quite embarrassing really from an Ajax perspective. What was that like, Lewis? Oh, mate, inc- incredibly embarrassing from an Ajax perspective because obviously the hooliganism and the disruption, no one really associates that with Ajax. They almost associate them with class and culture and they play football, they have a philosophy and everyone in there almost has to fit like the Ajax blueprint. However, They have their brownies on the way into the game as well. They're quite happy. They're quite hey, content. These Ajax hey, they maybe needed a few more. They maybe needed a few more or a stronger dose because they, they were very agitated and they, they weren't happy with what they're seeing. And I just think that, again, it was a bit of a shame, to be honest with you, because I don't really associate any of that with with Ajax. However, though, it, it did make a, a great atmosphere, like I said. It's, I, I remember coming out of the game after an hour thinking, I've never been to a game where it's been abandoned, let alone where there's only home spot in the game. So how has this even happened, for one? And I was thinking... What's going to what's going to happen? Here, final just going to get the win. What's happening? But then it was it was played the last half an hour behind closed doors today, which again is mad. I would encourage anybody to try and get to that fixture. I was described by a local as Real Madrid versus Barcelona in the Netherlands. They absolutely hate each other, and yeah, it was incredible. And just a final comment on Santiago Jimenez. He, this guy, I, I genuinely was talking to my mate Stan about it, and I was saying when this guy has time to think about what he's doing, he's he's poor. But when he's instinctive and he doesn't have to think about anything, he's quality. His hold-up play is good. He's very raw, don't get me wrong. However, Ham's finished with a nice little stat. He's the first Feyenoord player to complete an Eredivisie hat-trick away from home in De Classica. That's insane. That shows how talented he is, especially with the history of Feyenoord as well. We had strikers like Robin Van Persie played for Feyenoord. Dirk really do it for them. Dirk Cow especially was a big one as well. Now you've got Stengs, who's in the attacking midfielder working with Santiago Jimenez, and it goes Royce, to show how well... Royce played for Feyenoord? 
Cruyff was the one that upset final fans and Ajax fans by making that move as well, which was insane yeah. to see. And he won the league? And he won the league with them, which was insane. And you're just looking at it and you're thinking, like, Dutch football. I know you mentioned it earlier, but I mean, with, with Dutch football, with European football, we're everywhere. There's so much to enjoy. There's so much to love. There's so much to appreciate as well. So when you go around and we get, you have an opportunity, for any of you listeners who get the opportunity to, to go to these games, appreciate for, appreciate football for what it is, not because of, oh, it's not like this in England, it's not like this in Spain, yada, yada, yada. When you appreciate it for what it is, that's when you get to see world-class football. You get to see amazing football and some amazing players get to stand out just like Santiago Jimenez did, well, technically today, um, but on Sunday as well when, when Lewis got to watch the game as well, which is great fun. Definitely, mate. And just as we're wrapping it up here, Hams, let all the listeners know where they can find your excellent podcast, The Friday Night Counter-Attack. Oh, you're too kind. Um, yeah, if you find us on Friday Night Counter-Attack on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, uh, fun, follow us on Instagram. We're mostly active there and on YouTube as well, at Friday Night Counter-Attack. Uh, we put out daily football content. We talk about more than just football content as well. Um, normally, um, everything we've done in football, so not just like Premier League football, everything, which is great fun. So, Thanks for the plug, Lewis, and thank you very much for your time today. Much appreciated, as always. Thanks again, Hams, for joining us on the pod today. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know where to find us when we're not making pods. But if you're brand new to the pod, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram by using the handle Cookie Podcast Network. We're available on TikTok. Just type in The Cookie Podcast. You can get us on YouTube in clip format. Just type in Cookie Podcast Clips. And we are also available wherever you get your podcast. Just type in, that's the way the cookie crumbles. So it's been episode 197. Thank you once again, Hans, for joining us. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> <laughs>